I've always had a passion for outdoor adventure, open fire, live fire cooking, and over the course of the last 20 years have worked day and night in building out our business. It has been certainly a grind. This is the Australian Butcher's Guild Podcast, brought to you by Meat and Livestock Australia. The podcast for passionate butchers. Hey, meat lovers, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Australian Butchers Guild podcast. I'm your host, Doug Piper. Soon we're going into our barbecue season, and the low and slow barbecue trend is still so popular, I thought we'd benefit from any tips and tricks on cooking over the grill or open fire. So I thought I'd bring in a special guest who's going to share some of his knowledge around barbecuing. He's the live fire grill master and all round great bloke, David Olson. David's a nationally recognised American Culinary Federation chef, TV personality, an award-winning recipe developer, international adventurer, legendary live fire grill master, and the culinary entrepreneur behind Live Fire Republic. And if you don't know what Live Fire Republic is, check your Insta and check out David Olson. Welcome, David. Hey, buddy. How are you doing? Mate, I am doing great and all the better for seeing you again. How the bloody hell are you? Man, I'm so dang good and I'm excited to be here with you. I'm uh, I'm grateful for the invite to the podcast. We have so many things uh, exciting going on here around the world and I know uh, the same down there for you. And man, I'm just looking forward to catching up. I'm excited about your podcast and all you have going on. And uh, I don't know, man, just looking forward to uh, chatting and catching up here. So, mate, what have you been up to? I was checking out your Instagram over the last couple of weeks and some of the gear that you get up to and and what you're doing cooking outside in all places around america and internationally too mate how did you get into this yeah it's crazy i think the sense of last time i think the last time you and i were together was downtown chicago middle of the world series baseball of course um and that's been a few years because i think actually chicago was in the world series at that time (laughs) you're an acf chef American Culinary Federation? The American Culinary Federation. So yeah, for years I sat on the board with the American Culinary Federation. Super proud of the mission. I mean, that organization, the ACF here in the US is the largest advocacy body for culinary professionals in the United States. And they do some really, really neat things. So very fortunate to have sat on the board and, and had a chance to work alongside several other very talented people um, within that organization. But as a, a a chef, the largest component of our publicly consumable engagement for people is is in our events business. And so we're right now coast to coast throughout the course of the U.S., both doing uh, private and public events. And in the last year, we've been to Bordeaux in France. We've been to Athens in Greece, both filming and hosting events. Uh, we're in talks right now to be in Australia uh, next year, uh, we have events in Dubai. We have events in Italy. We have events back in France and, and certainly here from coast to coast in the U.S. Ripper, mate. Yeah, well, make sure you let me know when you get here because i um, love to catch up and we'll go out for a couple of beers. <laughs> yeah, you know I will. So outdoor cooking. So we, we're about to go into our, um, our summer here. We're, we're still at the back end of spring, about to go into summer. Uh, so obviously a bit like America, everybody's going to uh, get out the barbies and, and fire them all up or you call them grills, we call them barbies, yep. cook some pretty decent food for our family and loved ones. What got you into barbecuing? How did you really immerse yourself into that? What happened there? Well, like I said on the front end of this, I've, I've always had a passion for the experience of being outdoors. I've always had a passion for uh, live fire cooking. And like all of us, I remember probably best, they always say like your best sense, like the best, like, you know, you have your touch, you have your sight, you have your sense of smell, your sense of smell is that sense that is best associated to memory. 
And to this day, I can still remember very, very early in my childhood that smell of Kingsford charcoal on the Weber kettle, cooking out in the backyard uh, with my dad and my grandfather, doing burgers or you know doing you know hot dogs of all things in uh, in the backyard for family parties and birthdays in the summertime. And our driving mission today isn't too different than what I feel like our like some of my earliest memories were all about with cooking. It's all about the way that, you know, food and a fire brings people together. And my personal favorite thing, you know, as it relates to outdoor cooking, it always has been, is, the, is it's the gathering that takes place, right? It's the food and it's the fire that brings people together. And we say it all the time at Live Fire Republic. Every event we go to, every opportunity we get is I, I personally think that it is a warm fire and it's phenomenal smoky fare. It's those two things that act as the intermediary to bring people of all walks of life and difference together. And there's very few places left on earth where people who are of different like and different mind can still get together, share ideas, break bread, have a laugh, build relationships. And the place where that happens and, and almost the last place on earth where it happens is around a warm fire. So yeah, food does that for people though, doesn't it really? It does bring a lot of people together, whether it, whether it be at a barbie or whether it be in a restaurant or somewhere, you know, it's, it's, we've all got one thing in common. We, we all love food. A lot of our customers come to butchers and they're looking for advice on how to cook stuff, how to cook meat. What are some of the tips that, that the butchers could share like with, with their customers to, to make that perfect meal? Let me start off you know, with this one. I think the first thing that I recommend to anyone is you have to start with a quality piece of meat. And it's one of the reasons that I've always loved you know, working with the Australian Beef and Lamb Council, obviously you and Catherine and the team is I trust the products that I'm working with, right? So if you start with a beautiful cut of lamb or a beautiful cut of beef, it makes a difference on the plate at the end of the day. The way that animal was raised, the way that it was cared for, the way that it was harvested, the way that it was butchered, all of that makes a difference. If you are seeking the cheapest alternative or the lowest common denominator, that is going to show up on the plate at the end of the day. I don't care how good of a culinarian you are. First thing is build a relationship with your local meat cutter and your butcher. And these are the types of guys that I trust in each community we go for our events. I mean, we're traveling across the world. That first spot I stop into is a local butcher. I think it's build a relationship with that local butcher. They trust them to put you in the right spot with the right cut of meat. To me, that's a game changer. Second thing, when it comes to the, you know, the barbecue, I mean, we could really start there on, you know, how to, you know, procure in, in, in craft an amazing barbecue. I would just say that the first thing I would really encourage folks to think about is don't worry about failing. You know, I, I think we all, you know, scroll Instagram and you see these beautiful and amazing dishes. And the thing that you might not see is that it, it took 20 years to procure, you know, the talent, the craft and the skill set to produce some of these images that you see on social media. And there's uh, there's a fair number of people out there that do have the capability to make that look very easy. And it's not sometimes. But I can assure any one of your listeners that I, I personally have failed more than they probably ever tried. And I, I would encourage people, you know, get out there and try something new and have fun with it and try a new cut and try a, a new recipe you've never done. Just don't be afraid to fail. Be creative. That's you know, that's to me with the excitement. People often ask like, what's the favorite, what's your favorite thing to make? And my favorite thing to make is a thing that I've never made before. And I think there's some excitement in that. So first thing, you know, is build that relationship. Second thing is don't be afraid to fail. Get out there, try something new. 
is it comes to maybe more tactical items. You know, if you're cooking over the barbie and you're using charcoal, it please let that charcoal ash over before you cook on it. If you're using gas, it's a different story. You do have to preheat the grill. Don't ever put the meat down on a, on a cold grill grate. But let that charcoal ash over and you are eliminating some of those odorous and maybe chemical-like items that come out of the charcoal. But you want to be cooking over uh, what I would call like an infrared style of heat. You don't want to be cooking over the open flame when you're doing the grilling like this. So preheat the grill. Don't cook over the charcoal uh, until it ashes over. And then I like my fourth and fifth tip here is one, let the meat come up to room temperature. So I know there's a lot of argument on thought of that, but... If you let that protein relax up, come up near a little bit uh, closer to room temperature, you no longer have to cook the meat for as long as you would otherwise. If you're taking a very cold piece of meat, the meat doesn't tense up when it, you know, meat tenses up when it's cold and it hits the grill. It makes it tougher. But really what I'm looking to do by relaxing that meat up near room temperature before it goes on the grill is I'm reducing the amount of cook time. And the lower the amount of cook time, the lower the likelihood is that I'm going to dry that piece of meat out, the more beautiful the crust is, and the shorter the period of time on the grill, the more juicy, delicious it is at the end of the day. Fifth tip is a two-zone cook, and that means charcoal on one side of the grill, no charcoal on the other on the bottom. That way you can create a searing zone and a roasting zone, and then your bonus tip is let the meat rest after you cook it. Uh, five to seven minutes a pound, um, and allow those proteins, those denatured proteins to reconstitute and keep all that juice inside the meat. Don't let it spill all over that board. Um, you work too hard on it to cut it right after it cooks. Awesome, mate. Hopefully some of the guys will get some information out of that they can share with their customers. I, I agree with everything you said there. I, I My smoker's a pellet smoker. I've got a, a oh, nice. pellet smoker. So I've got the gas grill on one side. And I've got the, the pellet smoker on the other. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't really get that hot on the grill side but um i'm sort of working on that but i've learned through sheer trial and error i've got to turn that grill on about 20 minutes before i'm actually going to cook on it to that point you know and i think this is you know if i'm a butcher out there and i'm 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 encouraging my customers with best practices to help them prepare the most meaningful presentation and dish they can for their company right i think Providing those tips and best practices to your customer as a butcher is, I think that's a great idea, right? Because the better that it tastes on the plate, the greater the likelihood they're going to come back and buy meat from you again, right? So if I'm just talking about tactical items to people, the one tag, the two maybe is let that meat come up to room temperature, build a two zone fire. And if you're cooking with steaks or proteins that are more than an inch, inch and a half thick, go with what's called the reverse sear method. And the reverse sear method, whether it's a steak, it's a it's a, a turkey for, you know, we celebrate Thanksgiving here, a larger roast of sorts. If I'm using the barbie, I'm setting the meat over the indirectly heated portion of the grill. So away from the charcoal. And I'm letting that slowly come up to temperature, maybe turning and rotating intermittently. When I get within about 10 to 15 degrees of internal temperature to my desired serving temperature, I'm then moving it over that charcoal, searing and crusting it to finish. That is a very easy method. It's a tested and proven method to have amazing results essentially every single time. So it's called the reverse sear. Yep. Start with your larger cuts over that indirectly heated portion of the grill, i.e. your smoker or your smoker box where you can smoke and slowly elevate and then bring it over that grilling feature to sear and encrust. Perfect. I never actually thought about that. It's tested. It's proven. I will tell you, if we do 100 events, I don't know, we did an event down in Orlando, Florida a few weeks ago. We did 3,000 servings a day, and we did it all on four Weber kettles. 
And every single Weber kettle was set up for direct indirect cooking. And everything starts on that lower heat portion of the grill, slowly elevating up to temperature and then moving over to that direct heat to sear in and crust. And I'm telling you, it just, it works every time. Once the meat's off, let it rest five to seven minutes a pound, carve against the grain when you're done. And it's, the results are indisputable every time. Mate, trends. What what are you seeing over there in the way of meat cuts trending for the barbecues? Is there anything new come up or anything you've been working on that you want to share with us? Yeah, so there's some cuts that I, I really and you know, I really enjoy. For us in, you know, a live fire setting, we're always looking for a unique or different take and approach. Every event we do is custom. Every menu we do is custom. We've done uh I'd say the last if I take the last like dozen events or so. We've done some really cool Argentinian-inspired stuff. So we're using like picanha. And I just love picanha. It's such a great beefy flavor. When prepared appropriately, which is 80% towards the heat, 20% towards the lean. So heat application 80% of the time onto that fat cap. Flipped uh, once you're within 10 to 15 degrees of temperature, heat application on the lean side. Man, there's probably not a better cut out there. I mean, I'll tell you what, the big beefy flavor you know, that fat cap just melts in your mouth when you eat it. It's just amazing. I love that picanha. And here we don't see that cut a lot. It, it requires a lot of education from meat cutters and butchers to to share with them. What is a picanha? What's a picanha roast? How do you cook it? How do you prepare it? Um, most folks don't know. Tri-tip for us is another one that I think is just absolutely outstanding. It's a, you know, a roast cut, of course. It has, it's, the grain runs on it two different ways. But they make for the most amazing steak sandwiches. And the key, I think, that the tri-tip is carving it really thin, you know, for best results after a, a grilling. But, you know, topping that with a beautiful tomato, you know, alfresco salsa, a chimichurri is a beautiful way to, you know, share the, the tri-tip. I love short rib. Short rib for us, whether it is a flanken style and it's cut across that bone into thinner strips and it's it's seared really hard, beautiful, salt, pepper, garlic, keep it simple, let the beefy flavor shine through. Or it's a slower smoke on a, a full rack of short ribs. To me, mm. that might that might be my favorite. Trending wise, I've seen a lot of flank. I see a lot of skirt. Um, I think that's, you know, really cool stuff. I'm seeing a trend here in the US, and I'm not sure how pricing is impacting things in Australia. I can tell you that we're spending as a business and even as a family 40 to 50% more on every single visit than we were two to three years ago. Um, that's a significant increase for, you know, protein. And so undoubtedly, you know, those less premium cuts, I'm seeing a more of a trend towards, which works great for live fire and barbecue. In fact, it, it leans really into the, the historical tradition of barbecue, which is taking cheaper cuts of meat and applying smoke and fire over long periods of time to turn them into something beautiful and delicious. So for us, it, it lends itself, you know, well, but I am seeing a, a trend in, in that direction. The tri-tip's one that's not really well known in Australia. Fact, uh, the rump cap is picanha. A lot of guys, a lot of butchers actually, we've got a great supply of them here. A lot of the processes, they take the cap off the rump, which leaves a, a cut we call the rost beef, which, or the rump center. Uh, and that a lot of that goes into the international markets, but um, yeah, rump caps are great. But tri-tips are one that not a lot of butchers probably know about because they they generally when especially if they're doing carcass beef themselves they're leaving that on the rump and they're slicing it up and it goes out on a full face slice of rump so that's where that stays but there's a few guys out there that that i've seen that are actually now taking them off separately 
selling them, but um, it's more about educating the customer uh, on how to cook it. And like you said, it's a really cool cut, but you've got the grain running, and it's a bit like a like a what we call silver side, where the, the the grain runs into each other, comes from different angles. So you've got to be very very wary on how you slice it up. There was one cut I saw over there in a, um, I think it was in a supermarket somewhere, and they, they call them steak tips, and they were marinated steak tips. Do you know what they are? What what cut that is? I didn't get to find out. I think they I think they take those from wherever they can get them. So there's this uh, the steak tip, and we have like this the stew beef tip in in the sort. What I've done them, it's a very high application of heat. So if I'm cooking with a steak tip, I'm using uh, usually like a binder of like an avocado oil or a grapeseed oil, which is a higher smoke point. And then keeping the seasoning very simple. I mean, I'm, I'm talking salt and nothing else. I think that when you're cooking at that high of a temperature to sear those steak tips in the way that you need to and, and still create a delicious bite out of them, a, a medium rare, medium style of bite. The heat application is too high for those, um, the, the thicker granules of, of pepper and garlic. It turns them acrid in a way. So on the steak tip side, if you do run down that route, I'd, su- I'd suggest a, you know, a binder with a, you know, an oil binder with a higher smoke point. Keep it simple with the salt. I think that the picanha and the tri-tip, that would be an absolute dominating cut inside of a butchery i'll tell you the argentinians and brazilians have something figured out there with that picanha mm. and the west coast here in the u.s is what i would say would be the probably the originator here in the u.s and and the largest seller of of tri-tip even here trying to get it in, in the midwest tri-tip is not as is common but i'll tell you what it is it's phenomenal we're seeing a few guys getting into the into the skirts as well. So you know you've got your flank, you've got your your abdominal flank, but then there's also the other skirts that you get out of that same region, which are still you know where they use a lot of that in Brazilian cooking, yeah, you know, over fire, and and those those are the things that I think there's a great opportunity for butchers to sell to their customers as something different, like like you said before, that point of difference, and and giving them the right information will will make them want to come back and see what else you've got. That's right. I agree with that. With a your, your flat meat, like so, so like your big skirts. I think they call them a bavette or something like that. What's a good, I suppose, the best way to cook that dish? Do you, do you marinate it first, and and if you were going to marinate it, is it good for it to like that piece of meat to sit in the marinade for a while, before, and then be able to sell it to a customer, or is it better off being freshly marinated at home and then cooked later? If it relates to like a skirt or a flank, I think both could be treated fairly similar. I personally am. Uh, not, and this is only a point of personal opinion and preference. This is, is not to say that it is good to marinate or not good to marinate, etc. I just personally don't, I don't enjoy to marinate the meat on, on the beef side. I do enjoy marinated pork. I do enjoy marinated chicken in once in a while and lamb as well. Maybe, you know, larger cuts of lamb doing it like a marinade, but on my beef, I like to season. If I'm going to do seasoning, I typically like to season within an hour of cooking. And I think that for the skirt cuts and uh, the flank cuts, direct applications of heat. Um, So season simply, let those big, beautiful, beefy flavors shine through. But I'm talking going directly over, you know, what I would call high heat. And that's, you know, 450, 550 degrees above. Really let those, those grill grates get searing hot. If I'm using a cast iron pan, 
I'm taking that cast iron pan, I'm putting it in my, you know, my oven and I'm putting on the broil function, getting that cast iron pan super hot back up on top of that oven burner. And then, you know, really charring that skirt or that, that flank steak. I think both can be treated either pretty similar. And then, then put your, your chimichurri or, or whatever sort of dressing over the top afterwards. Yes, absolutely. And so for those, I, just cause I mean, those skirt, you know, those can roll out a mile long. Uh, but what I'm doing is, is cutting them into, you know, let's call it four to six inch strips and then carving them, you know, on the bias against the grain. To me, that's probably the key with, I think the skirt, you can marinate it and it, it's going to be beautiful. You can season it simply. It's going to be beautiful. I just think it has such an amazing beefy flavor, but it does come down into how you cut that steak between the point that it's finished cooking it rests and then it goes on the plate. And I mean, really take a look at the direction that those that grain is running and you want that knife to be going across those grains. And if you can secondarily carve it on a diagonal against that bias, now you've cut into that grain two different directions and it really does help tenderize inside the on the palate. Yeah, okay. What about flavors? What's coming up? What, what do you find really get, floats everyone's boat? Yeah, good question. On the flavor side, we are going more simple than ever before. You know, I think that there's a, a you know a big push, you know, more recently towards our Argentinian flavors. I think Thai flavors have been really, you know, popular. We talked about Korean. I think that that's been more present in in. So we even have breweries here, Doug, in Michigan. There's two in my town, uh, brewery like pubs, and they're now serving strictly Korean food. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big deal, you know, to me, I think that, you know, we as a company for, you know, at least in our events, I mean, we're leaning much more into simplistic flavors, you know, in letting the fire and letting the product, you know, speak for itself. And maybe that is representative of the, of the time is, um, just kind of returning back to our roots a little bit and, you know, kind of letting the, the, the product and the process speak for itself. So is there anything else you'd like to share with the butchers out there um, that you've seen in your travels that you think they might benefit from that, that we, what you've witnessed? I'm seeing a lot more here in the U.S. Now I'm, you know, on the butchery side, we have some guys doing some really cool stuff. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to see a lot more between culinarians chefs like myself in butchers is, is more collaborative efforts. Uh, take Doug, like what we did in Chicago, you know, you flew around the world to do just an absolutely amazing demonstration on whole animal butchery. I mean, and it was, it's seared, you know, um, no pun intended into my mind. I mean, just how cool that event was, right? And what we did is you have, you know, whole animal butchery taking place. And then you have chefs that are then using those cuts after the audience has, you know, watched this butchery happen. And they're then using those cuts to prepare dishes and small bites and, you know, more plated experiences. But to me, we talk a lot about the way that food and fire brings people together of all walks of life and difference. And to me, that is an overriding mission in, in a driver for us. The second thing that's really important to us is getting people closer to their food. You know, and one of my big, big complaints about social media and in general, our landscape is the aversion people have to seeing whole animals. Personally, I feel like uh, the more visible the whole animal is, to me, it brings a whole new level of respect to the animal, to its rancher, the farmer, the butcher, the artisan that's in the kitchen. I mean, to me, getting piece of people closer to their food and where their food 
comes from is so important. And it's, it's one of the things that I love most about that event that we did. So if I have to say one of the cooler things that I continue to see here that I would really encourage for butchers, culinarians, artisans in Australia is find ways to collaborate together, find ways to market together and craft unique experiences that involve both audiences seeing butchery happen, seeing how food is prepared and produced, get it out in front of people. It's another thing that I love about live fire cooking. There's no, there's no mystery to it. You can see it happening, right? Those kind of collaborative efforts, I think, are 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 really cool. And getting people out, um, you know, much closer to where their food come, I think, just brings a whole new level of respect, not only to the animal, but you know, to each individual in in the line of preparing, producing, and you know, preparing and serving meat on a plate. Mate, look, it's been really good catching up with you today. I've really enjoyed seeing you and talking to you and hearing your voice, mate. It's, it's unreal. But we've got four questions to go. Oh my gosh! So, first one. What's your go-to cut of beef and best way you prepare it? Ribeye and tomahawk ribeye in particular. I absolutely love the beefy flavor of, of ribeye. And if you see it at our events, we do what's called a hanging or a floating ribeye. We French the bone. We take a drill bit, drill through that bone at its end. We tie it off with uh, culinary grade stainless steel. And we, uh, after seasoning it simply, salt, pepper, garlic, We'll hang it above a fire only to season it and let it slowly come up to about 110 degrees of internal temperature. We'll cut it down, remove the culinary wire and trussing, and then get it directly on the grill grate, sear it, uh, and then finish it with smoked beef tallow. Yeah, I think you've got a lot of votes there, mate. Second one, what's the strangest thing you've ever had in your refrigerator? We've done some ostrich. There's an ostrich. There's a very prominent ostrich farm here in the U.S., and I can't say that I'm necessarily overly fond of ostrich. Alrighty, number three, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? If it were reasonable, I would eat buckets of chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Blake is my like that's it that's probably all i would eat but that's not reasonable <laughs> so i would i would presume it'd be some combination of you know a beautifully seared steak with you know uh, some combination of you know lobster or uh scallop or something to that yeah. too I, you know to me i don't know man it doesn't get much better than that does it all right what's your go-to comfort food and um what would be the star ingredient grits i love buttery cheesy absolute worst highest calorie food i mean just it is it fills your stomach like a brick well mate we got to do a wrap up now but look really good listening to you great story and uh, look i hope the butchers get a lot out of this but um you take care of yourself and we will catch up when you get back down here in australia and we might even do a number two backup on live fire republic That'd be great. Let me know anytime, man. I, again, congratulations on the podcast. This is really cool. I'm excited for you and the team in any way that I can support from afar or from there, I would be more than happy to do so. So uh, keep me posted and I'll continue to follow. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. Cheers, mate. <laughs>